0: Hey, hey, glad you made it. If you have a Bible, open to John chapter 11 because there is recorded the most amazing miracle that Jesus performed. In fact, it foreshadows the greatest event of all history, past, present, and future. After Jesus did this miracle, it actually says in verse 45 of chapter 11, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. After the people saw this, they couldn't categorize Jesus as a good teacher or a fine man anymore. He was more than an ordinary prophet, more than an ordinary priest, definitely more than an ordinary king. He was the Word And in his word was life. Jesus was close to two sisters and a brother. They lived in Bethany, just two short miles outside of Jerusalem. The sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus to come ASAP because their brother Lazarus was gravely ill. Sickness has always been an issue with the fallen human being. The written Word of God gives basically four reasons or purposes for sickness. Some sickness was unto death. Some sickness was for uh, punishment or judgment. Some sickness was for discipline. But Jesus here is opening humanity's eyes to yet another reason for sickness. He explains it in verse 4 of chapter 11. Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death, no. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. There is always so much more going on than what we can see, what we can know. Our efforts to give purpose and reason to what an all-powerful God does or allows to be done is so limited in our own comprehension But our lack of understanding in what the Father is doing does not somehow entitle us with the wisdom and insight to decide that, well, God made a mistake there, or he's just so cruel and unkind. To allow something like that to happen, there's just no other explanation. This has never been about us making a judgment on God and how he's doing. You know, it's kind of funny to me because when things don't really go the way we want them to, somehow we think we have the right to call God in for a job evaluation. This is not about us deciding if an all-powerful God is good based on our extreme inability to see the big picture. Sickness or anything else in life that troubles us is more about our trust and our faithfulness than it is anything else. There is a missionary named Lynette Thompson that gives us some real discernment on this idea of faith and trust. She explained that because Africa is not a safe environment, she would regularly be approached by different people who would say, in order for you to go to West Africa, I guess you just have to trust in the Lord's protection, huh? Her response back is shocking and thought-provoking. She would say, I can show you the grave of a 15-year-old missionary's child who died from hepatitis and a four-year-old who died from malaria. If my trust is in God's protection, my trust would crumble under such circumstances. My trust is in God, in the belief that he is in control, and that whatever happens will happen for his glory. Quite a statement, isn't it? I mean, is it a mistake to put our trust in anything more than just God? I mean, how how would we phrase it? Are we faithful to Jesus and what we would like him to do for us? Faithful? Or are we just faithful to Jesus, faithful. Faithfulness need never be based on what we can see, on our intellectual understanding. Faithfulness is based on a decision to trust Jesus even when we don't understand, even when we can't see. And that's the crossroads moment that happened to Mary and Martha. You see, they asked Jesus to come as quickly as possible, but Jesus decided to wait two more days before leaving to go to them. He did it on purpose. He told his followers, I'm doing this on purpose. I'm waiting. And in Jesus' delay, Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, died. When Jesus finally did arrive why Mary and Martha's brother had been dead and buried for four days. And Jesus is opening our eyes to the truth that, just as some sickness is for the purpose of God's glory, so also a delay with a cure or a delay with deliverance can also be for the purpose of God's glory. I'm slow in getting this myself in my life But I keep asking myself, am I beginning to see that God doesn't operate on my timetable? (laughs) I know that it seems funny for it even to come out of my mouth, but I mean regularly. It seems that he rarely does what I want him to do when I want him to do it. Cindy Morgan, the Christian singer and songwriter, years ago arrived in Los Angeles for a series of concerts. As she unpacked for one evening's concert, she found the dress that she had planned to wear terribly wrinkled. So a helper was sent to find an iron and an ironing board, and she was sent to a church staff member's house with a key to get the things that she needed. Well, to her horror, when she arrived and went into this house, she found a teenage daughter home alone with a loaded gun about to take her life. God used that helper in a miraculous intervention, dissuading the teen and returning, having her return with her where she received the help that she needed. Needless to say, there was a bit of a delay in getting the dress ironed. Cindy Morgan would later say, to rescue a life, he wrinkled a dress. What appears to be an unnecessary delay to us is in fact God doing something wonderful that we just can't see or know. So when Jesus does finally arrive, both Mary and Martha grieve that he didn't come sooner. You see, their limited understanding led them to believe that Jesus was limited with what he could do when physical death came. And I keep asking myself, am I growing to a place that I understand that my limitations do not limit God? My limitations have no effect on God. You see, they believed, the sisters believed that Jesus could make a difference, but they just thought it had to happen before their brother died. These two sisters knew and knew correctly that the resurrection was most definitely a future event. That's right. That's truth. That's a fact. But Jesus was about to broaden the resurrection to not just a future event but a present reality. You talk about a moment from the text John chapter 11 beginning with verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone he said But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Raising someone from the dead is irrefutable, overwhelming evidence that that someone is, in fact, God. But there were two distinctive responses to this miracle. One, I've already drawn your attention to at the beginning of our time together. It was in verse 45. Remember, many of the Jews who had come to to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. The second response, in contrast, starts in verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. A dead man is buried and four days later miraculously brought back to life and this is eyewitnessed by a multitude of people and yet some are still more concerned about losing their earthly power and position. A man has just been raised from the dead and I'm worried about my position? The response is baffling. How can we read this historical account and still be overly concerned with, with earthly matters. And I'm, 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 I'm thinking about myself with this. Why do I worry? Why do I fear about anything in this life knowing that the person that has me has the power over death? Jesus has demonstrated that time of death and length of time dead <laughs> poses no problem for him. And Jesus has brought this most reassuring hope. I can see clearly now, into the clearest view, the separation that physical death has caused with our loved ones and family members in Christ is only temporary. The sicknesses won't last, the delays won't last. There is to be a grand reunion in Christ. What possible earthly concern can unseat that kind of hope? Bill Bright said it. With God, life is an endless hope. Without God, life is a hopeless end. I know things don't always turn out the way that we want them to. But isn't that when hope really shines through? I mean, doesn't hope find its footing when the flood and the fire of life's tragedies seem to be overwhelming? Doesn't hope find its power when we don't understand the why? Why is this happening? And here comes hope. The surgeon was dreading the family consultation. In that small room just outside of the operating area, the parents and the young son sat with the doctor. The surgeon began, <clears throat> tomorrow morning, I'm going to open up your heart, and, and the boy interrupted, and you'll find Jesus there. The surgeon looked up, annoyed, and continued, I'll cut your heart open to see how much damage has been done, the boy quickly interjected again. But when you open up my heart, you're going to find Jesus is in there. The surgeon looked over at the parents as if to say, Can you get him to be quiet? But the parents remained quiet. The surgeon continued, When I see how much damage has been done, I'll sew back up your heart and chest and then make a plan on what to do next. But you'll find Jesus in my heart, the young boy said. The Bible says that he lives there. The hymns all say that he lives there. You're going to find him in my heart. The surgeon had enough. He looked square at that young boy. I'll tell you what I'll find in your heart. I'll find a damaged heart muscle, low blood supply, and weakened vessels. That's what I'll find. You'll find Jesus there too. He lives there. The surgeon stood up and left the room shaking his head. The next day after surgery, the surgeon sat in his office recording his notes from the operation. He turned on the recorder. Damaged aorta, damaged pulmonary vein, widespread muscle degeneration, no hopes for transplant, No hope for a cure. Prognosis and here the surgeon hesitated. Death within one year he stopped the recorder but he had more to say. By himself in the office and looking up and out loud he said, why? Why did you do this? You put him here. You've put him in this pain, and you've cursed him to an earthly death, why? The surgeon's tears were hot, but his anger was hotter. You created that boy, you created that heart, he'll be dead in months, why? And in the next moments of silence, through the anger and tears, the great counselor, the one who cares for the brokenhearted, came. He came to that surgeon. Later that evening, the surgeon sat at the boy's bedside with the parents sitting across from him. As the boy began to wake up from anesthesia, the boy whispered, Did you cut open my heart? Yes, answered the surgeon. What did you find, asked the boy. The surgeon answered, I found Jesus. Is there purpose in our pain? Always. Do we ever cry tears in vain? Never. Why? Because Jesus is with us and won't let us go.